it is a challenging industry, um, architecture and engineering and even construction. They're, they're hard industries for graduates, um, and they're expected to learn a lot of things very fast. So just um, just come in with an open mind um, and just yeah, just be ready to put in some really hard work before um, you know you get to the good stuff. You're about to enter the Ak Young Podcast. Young Podcast. India's first and very own architecture podcast, where you'll hear the insights, experiences, and journeys from India's leading architects. No matter what your skill level is, together we'll build on our knowledge and share architecture's greatest stories ever told. Now, here's your host, Manish Paul Simon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Akyan Podcast. This is episode number 35. Today, I have with us a very special guest all the way from Australia. This is the founder of this amazing YouTube channel called Aussie BIM Guru for architects and for the BIM industry. This is Gavin Crump. Let me give you a brief on Gavin to give you some context. So Gavin completed his bachelor and master's in architecture from University of South Australia, post which he's got to work for the biggest firms in industry like HDR, Woods Baggett, Crone Architects, and he's quickly grown from being a BIM coordinator to a BIM manager in a very short period of time. He now runs his own BIM consulting firm called BIM Guru, but what he's most famous for and most widely known for is undoubtedly his YouTube channel. I've personally learned quite a lot from watching his videos, especially the Dynamo videos because he goes in-depth on covering a certain topic and there's so much to learn from every single video. And on this episode, Gavin is going to be taking us on his journey in architecture, his journey in architecture school, which is University of South Australia, how he picked up on Revit, landing his first job, working his way up from being a BIM coordinator to a BIM manager, starting the Aussie BIM Guru YouTube channel, BIM in Australia, more on his BIM consulting firm, which is the BIM Guru. And towards the end, we switch gears a bit and we talk about the Australian PR because there are a lot of Indian architects applying for migration to Australia and his advice is definitely going to help those who have plans to migrate to Australia in the future. So this episode is going to be a blast and it's going to be jam-packed with a lot of useful information. You can head to arkyan.com slash 35 for more on the episode and podcast show notes. And also do follow us on Instagram for daily content where I pick the best from each episode and put it up on our IG page. That said, this is Breaking the Silos with Gavin Crump. He starts off by sharing how he got into architecture. Let's go. All right, let's kick things off. Uh, give us your journey into architecture and how you got started. Yeah, sure. No worries. Um, so I guess like architecture sort of came to me as an option um, during high school. So I was quite fortunate that I, I always enjoyed art when I grew up as a kid. And I sort of picked up a passion for maths and physics. And I sort of, I was always a huge video game fan as well. So putting these all together in my head sort of led me to architecture and my, my mother was really helpful. She sort of recommended it to me as well. And it sort of made sense. It was sort of funny because um, like I had, a, I had a career counselor at school that used to test us and give us a score on which job we were likely to have. And I remember going in and just telling him I'm going to be an architect. And he was like, no, no, you've got to take the test. You might not be an architect. And I came back mm-hmm. with like a, a 97 for architects. So he was just pretty annoyed about that. Um, but yeah, by the time I was in year 10, I was pretty set on, set on going into architecture, even though I didn't didn't really know what BIM was at that point, but I at least liked the sound of architecture and, and what it could do for me. Yeah. 
Awesome. And then you joined University of South Australia, right? Yeah, yeah. So I um, did my bachelor's and my master's there. So three-year bachelor, two-year master's. <laughs> mm. All right. Uh, could you briefly tell us about the course? And uh, did you feel that three years and two years was pretty long for a bachelor in architecture? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sure. So, I mean, it was a great university. Um, you know, I met a lot of great people there and, um, you know, we, we had a three-year bachelor's and two-year master's and I was, I, was, I was surrounded by a lot of really great buildings on campus. There was a lot of really good details we could look at all the time and it was a good course to sort of get us interested in architecture. That was one thing I liked about it. Um, it wasn't as focused on technical and like technology as it probably is now these days. Um, so, I did feel like I sort of missed out on, on that sort of aspect. There was a lot of focus on sort of architecture theory and history and academia which um you know obviously doesn't really serve me too much good in the real world um even though it does give me some architects to be inspired by which is good um but yeah it was a, it was a fun course i think that the three and two maybe wasn't quite right i think that bachelor's was like a little bit too much of an introduction to architecture and i thought as a result the the introduction could probably have been a bit shorter uh, maybe like two years and they could have put a bit more volume into the into the master's component like i feel like the three-year bachelor two-year master's is very it's a very traditional sort of educational breakdown that just seems to be the way it is just because and then they sort of fill out the curriculum to to make it work um which i, th- I thought it felt was sort of the case in my degree um yeah but that, that, that's sort of my experience um I, I remember you're telling me that uh i think you're you're way where you are is a five five bachelors two masters as well which yeah, yeah. which seemed pretty crazy to me like that seemed like way too long in in bachelors and you know i'd imagine there'd be a lot of repetition in a in a five-year cycle in a bachelor's course yeah in our case it's all about the money more than the education yeah. I think money is a big motivator for universities. Um, definitely, definitely been seeing a lot of um, a lot of reaction to money because uh, in Australia we do have quite a bit of a there's, a there's a bit of a motivator for universities to get international students because they pay pay a lot more money um, than 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 people do in Australia. I think they pay about at least three times as much as, as what we do, which is pretty crazy. Um, but obviously, with the all the crazy fears about the coronavirus going around, a lot of international students haven't come back this year so they've they've been uh been feeling the pain a little bit this year but okay yeah it's definitely a motivator mm. all right awesome uh could you tell us briefly about how you got started with the, this awesome software called revit and how you started picking up revit yeah for sure i mean it's just definitely an awesome software it's definitely definitely changed my career um you know when i was at university i owned i used autocad and 3d max and a little bit of sketchup um and i can't say i was very uh happy with these programs they, they never quite felt like they were really giving me like an intelligent solution, especially late in my later years when I was trying to do more challenging buildings and I really had to push them in 3D Max just to get the forms that I needed. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I never really used Revit during university. We, we used it in an elective for about, um, and we were trying out the family editor, which was quite new at the time. I think it was in Revit. Revit 6 or Revit 7. Um, so we had a really old version at the time because I think Revit 2011 or something like that or mm-hmm. sort of Revit 11 was, was probably the, the latest version then um, and we all sort of just that it wasn't that good because I think we were using quite an old version of it and and a lot of the tutors uh, in the universities at that time were quite biased against BIM um, mm-hmm. I feel like they are a little bit there's, there's some tutors that are coming back to university now from the industry and sort of changing that narrative mm-hmm. but at the time BIM was still a little bit uh, people weren't quite sure to make of it. So I sort of got the impression that Revit was like the the enemy of good design. And, and then 
when I got out in the real world and submitted my application to 50 places and got one interview and didn't get it because I didn't know Revit. It was a bit of a bit of a reality check um, for what the industry was really doing. So, um, so I was very lucky that my first job, I actually just uh, had a family friend that knew an opening on a, a massive hospital project that was being done entirely in Revit. And I actually went in and had to do a Revit examination to prove that I knew how to use Revit. And um, mm. of course, I failed it miserably. So, oh. so yeah, as hard as it is to believe, the, the Aussie BIM guru um, yeah, failed his Revit test. So we, we all start somewhere. But um, but from there, I sort of picked it up and yeah, sort of naturally just picked up uh, bits and pieces of the program over time. And um, I guess, you know, here I am, um, you know, I guess a very strong advocate for the program. Awesome. Mm. And that BIM, ma- BIM manager did give you a chance right after you failed the test. Yeah. So I had a, yeah, you saw my video um, where I got to sit next to the BIM manager after he, after he let me in, he said, oh, he more or less just said, oh, we can tell that, you, you know, you've got the enthusiasm and we think you'll pick it up. And luckily, and I, I just got to sit next to him for about three months and learn how to audit models and, you know, what, what a good Revit model was and how to, how to use Revit carefully. And he, he was really good, actually. He really, um, Gave me a lot of good habits, and he he was very cool under pressure because he was managing a team of eighty architects in Revit. So you can oh, imagine wow. just the, the amount of stress that guy would have been under, and he kept kept it cool. So um yeah, I'm still in touch with the guy every now and then. So he reaches out to me maybe every every year or so just to see how I'm going. Um yeah, so I was I was really fortunate. Um you know I got given a chance, and I guess it, I guess it paid off for them, and it paid off for me. Yeah, no problems. All right, so. Uh... So generally, uh, an architect or maybe we didn't have BIM managers back then, but they pretty have like quite a long career in architecture spanning over two, three decades before they have a really good position. But you had uh, a quite a uh, awesome career in like a short span of time and you transitioned mm. to a BIM manager. So how did it all happen? Yeah, so I guess um, until I really spoke to more people, I just never realized how fast I sort of moved through the roles. Um, I, was, I was very fortunate to be given a lot of opportunities by some great people, um, but also put in a lot of really hard work when a lot of people were probably out, um, you know, having a having a bit of a party and a, a couple of drinks probably on the town. Mm-hmm. Um, so whilst I still did, you know, go out and have a few drinks on the town too, because I'm an Aussie and we do that. <laughs> so this is um, every weekend, same- right? Oh yeah, we still go out on the weekend, but nice. um, but I, I spent a lot of time on my weeknights, um, actually taking Revit home with me and remote mm-hmm. desktoping into my work computer and really mastering the program and learning all its inner workings, learning what all the error error messages mean because obviously if you're a BIM manager, you need to know what all those strange warnings mean when someone gets one. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I also took like one of my old university projects and rebuilt it from scratch in Revit from the ground up. So I purged the template until nothing was left. And as, as a result, I learned every little tool, even the really silly ones, like how to build a section head um, mm-hmm. because there was no section head in the model all of a sudden. So that, that really taught me just the inner workings of the program. And on top of that, like, like I said, I got some really good opportunities given to me. So uh, I started off as a BIM technician, but on a really big project. So I got exposure to um, really good quality BIM modeling and really good quality BIM, BIM team management, um, which imparted a lot of really good qualities onto how I approach Revit and also BIM. Um, and it also encouraged me to learn more about BIM standards, um, and which got me more interested in international and national standards for BIM as well. Um, so I sort of accelerated my... I guess my understanding of the bigger picture of BIM, um, and I, I, I obviously moved from my hometown of Adelaide to Sydney about four or five years ago, nice. and, and I got given an opportunity by a sector leader in the company at the time um, in a franchise who said, hey, come, come be manager for us. We know you want to do it, and sort of jumped 
shipped to them. And yeah, it was one of the best opportunities I ever took in my life. Um, so it's been an interesting ride. I've sort of jumped between the roles a bit. So I went from a technician to a sort of a coordinator slash model manager to a BIM manager, back down to a coordinator and then back up to a BIM manager again. And I sort of felt the second time around when I went back to BIM management and I sort of hit it with a different sort of attitude. Um, I was a bit more mature, a bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's been quite a journey, but um, yeah, a lot's happened in a, a short amount of time. Yeah, yeah. there was a re- recent video which you released on uh, BIM manager mm-hmm. and what a role he plays, right? So could you briefly yeah, tell us about it? Sort of, I've yeah. done a few. I've done one on like the pros and the cons of being a BIM manager. Yeah. And then I've just, I think the one after that was my journey through BIM management and then the, the salary grades they go through. I try to put a few videos on my channel that relate more to the industry. It's not just me, um, you know, showing Dynamo or showing Revit, but sort of giving some context to the BIM management role as well. Yeah. All right. And what kind of uh, scope of work does a BIM manager <laughs> Uh, do yeah so i think i'm um, like a really big thing for a bin manager is you, you really have to work with people um like software is really important i think i think a good manager needs to be a master of their software as well it, it's hard you can't just be a master of the software i think it's important that you you're a really strong communicator and you're really receptive to people's problems because ultimately like a bin manager is sort of like the last line of defense when it comes to the strategy of how to how to solve a BIM problem or how to prevent a BIM problem from happening in a project or in the company's bigger picture. Like you might be responsible for literally picking the software platform they're going to use for the next 30 years, which could be obviously like a huge financial commitment. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty intense role. I think their scope, it really varies on the company size and the company type. Um, I think like a, like a small company, you're more, more responsible for the day-to-day management of like the technicians and making sure the content's all prepared. Um, but in the larger companies, it's more about making those big heavy decisions about, you know, what software are we going to use for this project and what sort of procurement strategies should we use to deliver this project? Um, even, even beyond projects, just, you know, as a company, how do we deliver? What's our, what's our documentation strategy? How, how much automation do we want to look at in our workflows? Or even just being 10 steps ahead of knowing what's going to be the next big thing. There's a lot of like research involved and just going to events, being aware of things and making sure the right people are aware of you as well, like software vendors and yeah, there's a lot to it. Um, but it's it's probably one of the most rewarding roles I've I've done in my career so far. Awesome. And uh, I don't know if this is a dumb question, but is oh, a BIM, BIM manager involved even after the project is completed during the facilities management and all that? Oh yeah, like any project with um an FM component, I think the BIM manager is integral to how that works because that's usually the point of the project where everyone suddenly realizes that the data is really important because all these models have to come together and talk to each other Hmm. in a common way. And most of the time, every company's got their own sort of data structures and their own file formats. And that's when really all the, all the big, the big players and the BIM management sort of team have to come together and make it work. I've been in that situation once um, and it was pretty intense. Like there's a, there's a lot of finger pointing and you know, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. But in the end, we all just sort of realized we had to make it work as BIM managers. Um, So it was pretty intense. And there was a lot of data migration and a lot of changing of data structures structures to bring it all together but we, we got a common model in the end that was federated and able to be viewed in a, in a like a, a an eye viewer um so yeah it's definitely definitely important for bin managers on big projects mm. awesome all right so you've started this amazing gem of a channel called aussie bim guru i personally oh, learned uh, quite a lot from your videos especially the dynamo playlist where you take us from scratch so yeah the learning series <laughs> how how did how did this all start and what made you decide to start a YouTube channel? And also, yeah. how did you come up with the name? 
Yeah, no worries. I remember when you first reached out to me through the channel. That's how we met, so it was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, found, I think I really I started the channel just because uh, I had a lot of things I knew about software and about the industry, and um, I wanted to share it. Like our, our industry is pretty pretty well known for building up silos of mm-hmm. information and preventing everyone from having access to them without either paying a lot of money for it or just calling it intellectual property and no one ever gets to see it. Um, so a lot of what I did pretty carefully was sort of start start sharing workflows and ideas um, that I thought really deserved to be out in, in the common environment where people could access them and not just, um, professionals, but students as well, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, wanted to get a taste for what, you know, they might need to know if they wanted to get into BIM. There's a lot of these things they don't teach it at university and, you know, a lot of the BIM courses don't touch on them in detail either. Um, and there's a lot of students developing content as well on YouTube. So I thought that they, that they needed someone that probably came from a professional angle with the, with some experience from that regard, um, which I think was a good choice because I've actually spoken to a few of the student content producers now and they've sort of, you know, realized that there's a few things they can learn from what I do and I can sort mm-hmm. of take a step back and look at how they work too. Because I guess a big part of being in BIM is to be flexible, that you need to understand everyone works in different ways and, you know, there's no right way to do things. They're just Sometimes there's better ways, but there's no right way to do things. Um, so that was sort of the, the main motivation with it. It was sort of a nice way to sort of just take things out of my head <laughs> and put them on YouTube as well yeah. so that if I need to remember something, I can just go back to my yeah, own video. Yeah, that's fair, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, like I watch my own videos all the time when I'm trying to remember things. I'm like, oh, one of the most common ones is just how to write a pattern file, I think, in Revit. Mm-hmm. And I constantly go back to my, my second <laughs> nice. video where I made pattern files and just go to that bit where I need to pause on an image and I go, oh, there it is. So it's sort of like my own little encyclopedia as well. Um, and mm-hmm. it's a way I can sort of help people that come to me and say, oh, I want to learn more about shared parameters. I'm like, got a shared primitive video done like it's too easy um so it saves me a lot of time i guess as a as a consultant and an educator as well um to have these sort of videos available to give to people um and i think you asked too how the name came about as well so that yeah. was a so i guess the, the three words aussie bim guru each one's got like a tiny backstory related to it so i guess i'm aussie obviously i'm australian and i'm you know, a proud Australian. I think like we're all proud of our countries and I think it's important to, to sort of like make that part of our identities when we do these things. Hmm. I've got a cousin that has like a, a YouTube channel called the Aussie Wealth Creation Channel. It's got about 50,000 subscribers, so it's pretty big. Nice. Um, and he he um, he, uh, he sort of branded his with the Aussie thing and I just sort of went, oh, I like that. That works. So, you know, let's keep it in the family. So he's my cousin, so we have all the Aussie channels. Um, and then uh, obviously a guru was just like a term that means someone that knows a lot of things about something and uh, a few people called me that a few times in my job so i thought oh that sounds cool so i thought that mm-hmm. that sort of seemed fitting and it's sort of like a nickname they can call me guru if they want that happens quite a lot um and then bim just because i didn't want it to be just revit or just dynamo mm. um i wanted it to relate to the bigger context of what bim is and I can pick up other software packages that way that aren't out right now. Maybe something new comes along and I can still sort of relate it to the channel's name. So yeah, that, that was sort of all the, the backstory of the channel. Awesome. So you released <laughs> a lot of useful content so far and we expect a lot more coming. So what, what yeah, do yeah. we expect from this year? 
Yeah, so I guess um, I keep a pretty big a pretty big backlog of videos, and I try to keep myself about six months ahead in my in my head. So I've got a pretty good idea of what I'm going to be doing um, up until around about maybe September or October. Um, some people might have seen on my channel. I think someone's commented on it once, saying that they can see that I've got all these videos that are private in my playlists, and they're essentially all my videos scheduled for release. Hmm. I think at the moment I'm about four weeks scheduled up. Nice. And of those, I'm going to be covering essentially. I'm just going to be starting with a few old videos from my channel i'm going to be remaking some workflows in dynamo forever 2020 because i know a few of my first videos like the workflows don't work in 2020 so i need to update them because i know they're quite popular because i picked some of the more common topics like putting shared parameters in families and putting views on sheets and things that are really important um so i'll be doing that for about a week and then i'll be moving on to custom package creation in dynamo um so how to make custom nodes how to package them together and how to release your package um out to, to online or to your company and then i'll be branching out into what people have been waiting for for a long time which is um python in dynamo awesome. so i'll be starting with um with python just as a scripting language and just spending about two weeks um just doing some quick tips on just basic Python terminologies and a few nice. functions that are really different that make it really useful, um, like iterating over lists and things like that. If some people might know what that means, um, if you if you don't, I guess you're known about four weeks, <laughs> and then um and then I'll move on to Python in Dynamo. And probably later on down the line, I'll, I'll look at doing a series on Navisworks because I haven't touched on that yet, but I really love that program. Um, and I'll also be probably releasing a free Revit template later on this year just so I can use it in my videos and also release it so that people can see what I think best practices. So like the, the BIM Guru template, which will mm -hmm. have sort of my my best of the best sort of content that I'm building right now. So building it all from scratch. So um, yeah, can't wait to sort of share all that with, with everyone. That's all going to be free, right? Yes. Yeah. The template's going to be free. Um, and I'll be releasing a couple of free sample models as well. Cause I guess like for my, my consulting business and I'm sure we'll probably talk about soon. Um, it's sort of like some free marketing for me as well. Mm -hmm. Like if people see it and they know who built it, it's sort of like, it's a big resume. Essentially it's going, wow, he can do this. Okay, cool. <laughs> so it's a, it's a really big resume essentially. And it, it's going to grow some legs. So it's going to jump around the world. I'm sure people will pass it around cause it's going to be pretty high quality. So I think it'll be a, be a good thing. And I think there's not really enough free templates out there at the moment there's a lot of like free content but there's not really a template where it's all together and it's all working together and you can document it all the same way and it's got all the same parameters and i think that that's really missing from what the industry yeah. has right now so so yeah i just want to release that at least just to put something out there and, and and that way people can download it and follow along at home with my videos as well and yeah yeah, even the naming conventions, there's no proper standard, right? So it's great that you're yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of standards out there, but there isn't really like a, a standard that the whole world agrees upon. Yeah. There's a few like sort of emerging standards um coming out, like some ISO standards and some of the some of the British standards that attempt to create naming conventions um that are gonna probably become like mandated around the world. <laughs> way down the line eventually once we all get really frustrated and stop caring about what our what our things are called mm. we just want someone to tell us what to do um and then we can get back to doing architecture and engineering again yeah. um but pr probably in the meantime yeah that, that'll probably be like something i'll put in the template what i think is like a really friendly naming standard i mean my naming standards are very tailored towards data so like everything's broken up with common separators so you can sort of pull pieces out of names and process them in dynamo and yeah so there'll be a bit of a insight into how my brain works when it comes to Revit and you know a lot of things that I've sort of borrowed from what I've tried out in other companies before and just taken little ideas here and there and said oh that sort of worked or 
play with that and I've sort of innovated on a few systems that I've tried before. So I think it'll be an interesting template for people to try out. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. In some of your videos, uh, you explore Dynamo pretty deeply, right? But what mm. advice would you give to someone who's just starting off with Dynamo? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Because I guess like, you're right. In my videos, I, I like to go pretty deep. I don't, I don't want to usually just go, hey, I'm going to press run and watch yeah. what happens. I want to <laughs> really bring them along for the journey and, and I try to explain everything along the way. So I think people get that. So um, sounds like you really get that. So that's great. Um, but my, my recommendations, I think my biggest one that I always tell people, there's two really important things to learning Dynamo. And the first one is that I always say, walk before you run. So, so learn the basics before you go and take on the advanced things. Cause people just always come to Dynamo and they say, I want to just, you know, copy this person's video and get my script and go back to my job and save time. Hmm. And unfortunately it means they don't really understand how they can use Dynamo personally. Um, so if you don't know how to like, you know, manage lists, for example, that's like a really common problem I find with people coming to me. Yeah. They'll say, oh, I ran your script and it didn't work. And I can see they've connected a list wrong. And if they knew about list management, they'd know what they've done doesn't work. They'd be able to read the warning and understand what's going on. Um, but as a result, I have to sort of grab their hand and lead them through the process and go, well, you've got to connect this here now and you've got to do this. Um, so I they, think also, like, they don't have the custom packages installed as well. Well, right? Yeah, that, that's a common issue or just the wrong versions of Dynamo. Or, yeah. Uh, so like I've even made a few videos just saying which version of Dynamo should I use just because I got I got asked so many times why why I don't use 1.3 or 0.9 and all, all sorts of stuff. I mean, I love that in Revit 2020, they've integrated uh, Dynamo into the build. So you're locked into the version of Dynamo. I'm sure it frustrates all the developers quite a lot because they're being forced to keep up with Revit. But at the same time, it saves a lot of headaches, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I think uh, back to what I was saying uh, another thing i always tell, tell people is you've got to like find a problem that gives your learning context so find something that you need to solve um, not just a problem you found on the internet that someone's got a video based on because that's what my videos are they're me going hey i found a problem here we're going to solve it in dynamo I sort of do that to give people ideas <laughs> and then they can innovate on the workflow a little bit. Like I never quite polish the workflow. I never quite do it exactly how I do it in the real world. It's more like a basic concept and then, you know, people can push it a bit further. Like sometimes people come to me and they say, hey, I took your script and I made it so much better. And I'm like, that's good. That's what I wanted. <laughs> and that they're almost sounding like they're like competing with me. And I'm like, no, this is the point of my channel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I find sometimes people, they don't have a problem that gives their, their learning journey the context it needs because then when you, when you solve your own problem, it's such a triumph. You're like, yes, I've, I've done it. Like I understand how I solve my own problem and it makes it more fun. Um, mm. Like when I first used Dynamo, I, I made a script that essentially numbers every door in the whole project mm. based on the way the door's facing and which rooms are facing either side. So if it's in a corridor, it'll belong to the room or if, no matter which way it points. It was a pretty, a pretty heavy script and it took me about a month to finish it. Oh, wow. um, but when I finally pressed run and it just worked, it was like, I think I stood up and just fist pumped in the air and went, yes. Like, and everyone's <laughs> like, what are you so excited about? And then I, I told them what I'd done and they were just like, whoa, like what? <laughs> so it was pretty cool i think that was, that was back in like 20 2016 i think that was in so so um i think that's really important and i guess like beyond that like once you've got better at dynamo i think it's really great when people can go and help other people like i have so joining the dynamo forums or just making a youtube channel or just reaching out to people around you mm. um going to the user groups and sharing sharing your passion for dynamo um with other people so that the industry can get better at using it and find more value in how it works yeah and you've also started leveraging GitHub, right? 
Yeah, so I, I just I basically just started making a GitHub so that every time someone goes on my videos and says, "Hey, send me the script," um, I don't have to because <laughs> I used to get that was like probably one in every two comments on my videos was, "Can you send me the script?" Um, so and I used to just send them an email and then delete the comment because the problem is once someone sees a "Can you send me the script?" comment, they're going to ask, "Can you send me the script?" Yeah. <laughs> so it sort of was my way to just save myself a bit of time, and I sort of realized I may as well do it just so people can keep up to date and they can open the script at home if they haven't got much time and they can learn really quickly um, if they know how to use Dynamo a little bit already because um, all my videos are sort of built for someone that doesn't know how to use Dynamo that mm, well. Mm. So that I start from the very beginning, like I'll get the I'll get the category, I'll get the elements and once you've done that once or twice, you sort of know how to do it. Yeah. Um, so like I, I sort of understand that sometimes people don't have time to follow step by step and copy me the whole way. So it was sort of for that as well. And I mean, all the, all the developers in Dynamo do it as well. So I sort of just, just wanted to join that that community of people that are sharing knowledge and um, yeah, just distributing what they what they think is good good content. Yeah, yeah. And you started with Dynamo and then jumped into Grasshopper, right? So that transition was pretty yeah. easy, right, for you? Um, it was it was different. Like I think if I'd started with Grasshopper, I would have never made it to Dynamo, and I probably wouldn't have stayed with Grasshopper, just because mm. Grasshopper is very different. It's very geometry and analysis focused. Mm. Um, but that's why I needed Grasshopper. So I sort of found purpose in Grasshopper through what Dynamo wasn't that good at doing. Um, so it gave more meaning or context, sort of like what I was saying before, when you need context to why you do something. And the context for me was just because Dynamo's geometry is quite slow. Um, I was trying to do a sun analysis and there's a package in Grasshopper called Ladybug, which is mm. literally just built to do environmental studies. And um, it was just like a, an amazing tool just suddenly to have available. Um, and I find Grasshopper is a little bit more tricky than Dynamo. Like you need to know more about mathematics and uh, more complex geomet- geometric functions mm. and the geometry classes are a bit more important in grasshopper so meshes versus um what they call b-reps which are just sort of like solids hmm. um so it's a bit different um but yeah i really do like grasshopper i found that it's it's quite a popular platform it's been around a bit longer and the community is probably a little bit more stronger um although dynamo's community is growing very fast um i try to i try to tell people not to see them as like competitors because a lot of grasshopper users go ooh, dynamo a lot of dynamo users go ooh, grasshopper <laughs> and it's just like just use both like they're great tools <laughs> like may as well like if you use yeah, Reddit, use dynamo like- as yeah. Well, right? yeah exactly so now it's even better now we've got dynamo and grasshopper in the same environment so mm. far out we can have a lot of fun with that um so like it's 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 amazing I, I never understand why people are always competing against each other and i'm like just just use all the tools like they're brilliant when you put them all together like i use rhino inside to use ladybug and revit now which is really really wow. useful awesome um so that's pretty fun um so but at the same time i still use dynamo to do a lot of um revit based operations so like cause some things rhino inside isn't as good at doing like if you want to say put views on sheets like you you essentially need to write the entire script in python inside inside um rhino inside just to do it so mm. you may as well just use a couple of the nodes in dynamo that are already there and just do it a bit more easily until they rebuild every single function in in you know in grasshopper that they have in dynamo um they're, they're both still really important and i don't think that's really the goal of rhino inside i think they're both trying to just build on what, what we can do as an industry yeah yeah ultimately it's uh, uplifting the industry and the system right? yeah exactly and just just adding more sophistication to how we can analyze and work with our designs yeah all right so you branched out to a consulting firm called BIM Guru, right? So what are the different services uh, you guys provide? 
Yeah, so I guess I kicked off BIM Guru at the start of this year, and I've, I've been operating since um, almost the start of February, a bit later than that. I've got a small client base, but uh, my services so far uh, are sort of center around five things. So that I've got a bit of a more detailed summary if people want to see it on my website at www.bimguru.com.au. Um, but I center myself around five core services. So I, I firstly focus on strategy. So how to implement new software, I'm looking at business strategy, um, project auditing and company auditing. So I have some proformers that I can apply to companies and say, this is how I rate, you know, your, 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 your score of, you know, how competent, you know, your, your BIM systems are sitting at the moment. And here's some improvements you could make. Um, I found that that service has been quite useful. A couple of companies have really benefited, benefited from that already. Um, I've also got Revit services, so Revit content creation and support files. I found content creations quite in demand still so that's been mm. nice um i've also got bim project coordination because i've got some experience using navisworks and bim 360 um which i haven't found anyone's looking for just yet but i'm sure eventually once i sort of get get moving a bit faster and some of the bigger companies come to me they'll probably be looking for that mm-hmm. um as well as that I, I do visual coding so i build dynamo and grasshopper scripts as a nice. consulting service now um so people come to me with problems and say i need a solution they don't even know how the script works, but they just know they need a script. Hmm. And then I sort of usually reverse brief back, you know, what, what I think would be the best way for a script to work. And then if they like it, then I build the script for them and off we go. Um, I found that Grasshopper and Dynamo have been about equal. I've done probably the same amount of Dynamo as Grasshopper projects so far, which is interesting, um, which has been great too, because I've sort of still been learning Grasshopper. So it was a great way for me to reinforce that I'd come a bit further with Grasshopper than I realized. And then my last service is training and education. Um, so I'm putting together, Together, yeah, some Dynamo and Revit training courses, and might you know develop some online web integrated training as well, nice. um, eventually for for paid training, nice. um, and and also I do mentoring as well. So I've had a couple of people that I've mentored so far, and I think they've really 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 um benefited from from my involvement in their sort of their career journey and and what they're doing. So um so yeah, quite a few services, and I'll be releasing a bit of free content as well. I think I mentioned before I've got a Revit template, and eventually I might release some 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 Dino toolbars for Dynamo. And then some sample projects as well, just to just some content and sort of improve the industry as a quality of industry. Mm. Um, obviously, I want to make money too, don't we all? But um, at the same time, I just want to improve um, the industry that I work in as well because it needs improvement. Mm. And you're doing this all on your own, right? Down the line, I want to find a way to take in employees, um, ideally, that are quite early in their journey, um, that are still learning the industry and want to learn it from a BIM management and a business perspective. Uh, my, my, sort of my, I guess my, my big picture is I'd love to almost just almost take in like graduates out of university and sort of process them through to the industry as BIM coordinators or BIM managers. Mm. So they sort of learn the ropes through working with BIM Guru. And then I let them sort of move on to companies and sort of plant them in companies to help them sort of realize their true journey. Um, unless they want to be consultants, obviously that's a different story. And then maybe that's that's a different direction for the company. Um, but for now, it's just me. I think probably at least maybe two or three years I'll be doing doing my own thing just because I'm currently a sole trader, um, soon to be proprietary limited probably. But nice. um, but to take on employees, you take on a lot of um, a lot of financial burdens yeah. as well. And I'm currently funding the business myself with no loans. So it's a, probably not quite the right time to, to reach out that far. And I'm sort of still learning about business acumen and how to operate a business and Love it, loving that side of it too. Uh, really liking the business management aspect, um, but would rather sort of get on top of that and master it before I sort of reach out to the next step. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, and you also spoke about uh, uh, not taking up too many clients and just focusing on the business for two to three months before. Yeah, you. 
Exactly, yeah. So I guess um, I sort of, when I first kicked off, I actually started the business on the 1st of January. I registered the domain and the name and I was sort of moving from there. I remember telling my partner I wouldn't start until the 15th of January and I started on the 2nd of January, so obviously couldn't wait. Um, So yeah, I I did about maybe almost two months, not quite two months, about a month and a half of business development. So just setting up everything that the business needed. So like having a lawyer to review all my contracts. I mean, obviously drafting my contracts in the first place um, having all sorts of templates and just things to let the business run having like an accounting system and job numbering systems everything to keep it operating and sort of keep it moving at a speed that i can maintain on my own um but yeah it was really important to do that like i highly recommend anyone that is opening a small business that they should just set aside about a month where you don't expect to take on clients and ideally you just don't take on clients you you tell yourself to get everything in order first um obviously you know make sure you get insurance all that stuff that took a while I know some companies out there that they're not insured and my God, like the, the risks are huge. So, so some of those things were really important to get in, get in place first and, and they're definitely not things you can do overnight. So um, it was really important to just know that when I went out to the market, I went out with confidence. Um, but I haven't like sort of done like a, what I call like a loud launch yet where I say, Hey everyone, I'm on the market. Come, come work with me. It's more like I've sort of just been working through a few small clients to begin with um, just to get a feel for the business. And then once I know, like I'm, ready to hit the market really hard you know i'll be you know me i'll be out on linkedin telling the whole world and yeah it'll, it'll be launching pretty hard from there but probably about two months away from that i'd say just because i'm working quite passively at the moment in my marketing strategy yeah and that is a huge market for bim in australia right even though it's not compulsory oh, yeah, and all that yeah, yeah, there's quite a lot of consultants already in Australia. Um, there's some some companies, some individuals, and they're all doing really well. Um, they've actually all been really supportive as well. Like I know a lot of the consultants really closely in Sydney, um, and they gave me a lot of great advice, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of opportunities to work with them down the line as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's a great time to be a BIM consultant. The market's just picking back up after hitting a bit of a slump. Mm. Um, the infrastructure market's booming right now. So that's probably where a lot of the work is in, in Australia, but also with consultants too. So um, yeah, it's looking like a really positive year coming up. And do all projects uh, require BIM in Australia? I'd say yes. Um, maybe not BIM, but at least 3D modeling. Because um, I find that, you know, clients these days, they do know that 3D modeling is not as hard as it used to be. Um, like, you know, say 20, 30 years ago, if you, if you had a 3D model, it was like, wow, like you must have got that outsourced or something like that. Some some graduate had 3DS Max in the office or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas now it's just a, it's just a given. You, you can almost just download like Twinmotion now and just build a 3D model for free. So it's 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 like if 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 you need BIM, that's probably another question because BIM implies you've got like a data-rich model. Mm. Um, you know, you've got some client obligations to deliver like a BIM, a BIM deliverable. And I'd say for like really small projects, like a single dwelling or something like that, probably not. I think like a company could really benefit from using BIM in that sort of scale because you can really quickly build a template for your houses and just smash them out really fast. Like BIM, BIM can save so much time for small-scale projects if you have a good template, um, but it's a nightmare if you don't. Because obviously every project, it's like building it from scratch every time. Um, but I'd say like for, for big projects, like it, to me, it's just a no-brainer these days. Like the amount of time and money that you can save through working in BIM and the, the time and money you can save from finding clashes before they appear on site. Yeah, it's just, a, yeah, it's, it's almost hard to imagine delivering a big project without BIM. 
um, these days. Like uh, I'm, I'm still amazed when I hear people of delivering projects entirely in AutoCAD and just the amount of work that it must involve to keep drawings in line. And yeah, I think these days, yeah, I'd say nearly all projects would need BIM. All right. And how is the Australian government and the private sector collaborating in developing the use of BIM? Oh, yeah. So there's been some really great initiatives um, we've seen through particularly the health department and um, sort of the defense department, but also in particular um, the transport sector. They've, they've really been pushing for some standardization of BIM. Um, they actually have a lot of templates and a lot of public standards that they release and that, that they sort of hold their consultants to. Um, some of them are based on the British standards or the PAS 1192 framework. And a couple of them are sort of catching up to the ISO 19650 standard and, and then the British National Annex in terms of how to number and manage assets and, and drawings. Um, so that's been really great. Um, the health sector is really interesting. They actually provide a Dorofus database um, with all their content in it um, when, when you start working with them. So that's pretty intriguing. So I think um, there's been some great initiatives there. Um, some sectors are still catching up. I know the education sector is still sort of building their framework based on what the health sector did. Mm. Um, but we noticed that the private sector is a bit different. It, it really varies from client to client. Um, sometimes it might be a developer with no expectations of BIM, and other times it might be someone that thinks they know what BIM is, but they don't, yeah. and people don't tell them what BIM is. And it, it really varies in the private sector. Um, but public, there's a lot of great initiatives taking place. Awesome. And could you mention yeah. any few projects that uh, you feel that BIM has been uh, adopted like in the right way? Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, the first project I worked on, um, to me, that felt like a successful adoption of BIM at a very early stage. Um, like the client was on board, uh, the, like the, the, the state health department was using uh, room data sheets and room layout sheets that were being generated from the model. And they understood that there was a model. Mm. Um, all the coordination was happening in 3D and Navisworks, which is really impressive. Uh, and this is like super early. This is like 2012. Wow. Um, so eight years ago. Um, it had like 80 architects. I think it was more than 80 engineers all using uh, Revit and Navisworks to coordinate. And then once they got on site, I think they were trying to use the BIM model on site. Um, so that was a really successful impl implementation of BIM to me. They did have a, um, I think a full asset management handover as well. I wasn't there for that stage, but I understood that they did have a fully federated model mm. as a deliverable. Um, so to me, that was pretty successful. And, and the, the budget runover wasn't too bad um, compared to other projects of its type. I think it only, I can't remember the budget runover that they released, but it wasn't too bad. It wasn't like the sort of runover that we see on transport projects these days that still use a lot of AutoCAD. I mean, we see like billions of dollars in runover on some projects in transport yeah. um, with the state government. But this one, I think only went over like a couple of hundred million on a two billion project. So that was pretty good. Um, and I think like there's some other projects I've heard of overseas, like um, like the, the Egyptian Museum, for example. I know that that's a massive project mm. in BIM. And that's been going on for, for many years now. Um, I know that they've, they've really integrated a 4D and a 5D cost estimation system in there quite heavily. Nice. Um, so they've been, been keeping an eye on that project too. And obviously like anything, you know, by Zaha, like I've got mad respect for what they're doing, um, you know, really pushing the limits of form and, and materiality and also, you know, pushing the software with um with Grasshopper and Rhino. So yeah, there's some great work they're doing there. I, I keep tabs on um one of their one of their staff called um Eckhart. He's doing some really good job. Yeah. Good jobs um yeah. in Grasshopper but also in Dynamo as well. So so yeah, really impressed by what they're doing. Um but yeah, there's a lot of great things going on in the world. Awesome. And do you feel that mm. uh, BIM in Australia would be more widely adopted in the coming few years and the maturity level would increase? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's only natural um, that as time goes forward, um, things have to get better. Um, I think at the moment, like we're sitting between BIM level one and BIM level three. Um, I don't think that many people in Australia would be sitting at BIM level three, if, if any, because um, the, the requirements of BIM level three just aren't being demanded by many clients yet. Um, but some clients are demanding level two, uh, so they're demanding facilities management handover in the form of digital twins. Um, so I think that you know over time we're going to see this digital twin movement influence what BIM does a lot more. Like For the benefit yeah. of our listeners, could you just tell us uh, what exactly are the different levels and also what digital twin is? Yeah, sure. So I mean, uh, level one, from what I understand, I think that can that can almost be like two D CAD. Um, from what I understand, it's it's pretty much not even BIM. It's 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 it's, it's information yeah. in a in a program in a, in a drawing, but it doesn't necessarily have to have three D coordinatable elements. Um, doesn't have doesn't have to have embedded data. From what I understand, I could be wrong. That might be level zero, but I think level one is almost not BIM. Um, level two is uh, like a, a fully integrated data mm. data model that has um, like cost, time, and facilities management-driven mm. initiatives. And level three goes far beyond that. It's looking at um, interoperability standards. So I think it, I think it entails things like Kobe standards. Mm-hmm. Um, so data modeling um, in the software itself. Um, so it's it's pretty pretty far beyond what what most people are doing on their projects right now. There's some people that are really pushing it in the UK, um, but yeah, here right now probably not. Yeah, but I think um, yeah, things like digital twin will will push um, more of an emphasis on the the four plus dimensions mm. of BIM, um, which really strengthen you know the, the chance of delivering a, a BIM level two model, um, and you know going beyond that to level three when data becomes really important. Yeah, and there are a few cities which are uh, making the digital twins of themselves, right? Like London and yeah, yeah. There's I think there's like the the Boardwalk project in San Francisco. I think it is um, that I think Microsoft is leading, or is it Google? I think it's Google, yeah. Google Sidewalk. Maybe. Um, I think they're aiming to have like a, a fully like smart integrated modeled city. Um, and even in Sydney, like the city of Sydney collects all the digital models of all the buildings and, you know, sends out the, the models when you're doing a development application. So there's very like basic versions of digital cities already sort of forming. And then there's some more complicated sort of localized projects like the Sidewalk project that we're seeing. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the tech giants are also getting into the space, right? Like Samsung. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. Like, I mean, we're seeing, um, I think it's Microsoft um, is partnering with Willow. Um, so they were probably one of the most early early adopters of digital twin logic. Um, and they're, they're partnered with Microsoft and they're using the Azure platform um, to, to really get on board. And we're seeing some really interesting movements in the market coming from there. They're really getting on board. I think they've really noticed too that the, there's a lot of um, disruption that can come through our market as well. So obviously disruption usually leads to money and profit. So I think they definitely, you know, realized very intelligently that they can, you know, really do a lot of pretty solid work in our industry. So I look forward to seeing what the what they can do with it. All right. And do you feel that uh, when we get too technical with things and we learn too much about BIM, we compromise mm-hmm. on our creative ability, abilities as architects? Yeah, I do. Um, it, it, it's a really hard question to answer, but I think... Over the years, I have realized that we do sometimes stray a bit too far from architecture when we get very technical. Um, we can spend so long trying to solve like a problem that's really small when we lose sight of the bigger picture. Um, I, I guess that there's a bit of a challenge in that the industry is sort of pulling in lots of different directions um, and BIM's just one of them. So sometimes like as a BIM manager, I even had to take a step back and realize that, you know, whilst BIM was the most important thing to me, 
on the project. It wasn't to everyone else, and maybe the profits weren't all coming from BIM. Um, so, yeah, it, it definitely can be a pretty big distraction when it's not managed and sort of communicated amongst the team clearly and, you know, the true value add of certain decisions isn't understood. Um, so, yeah, no, I would agree. I think, I think if people blame BIM for, like, the lack of design quality, I wouldn't necessarily go as far to say that, which is an argument that I hear quite a yeah. lot. People saying that, you know, Revit came and ruined how we design, and I said, no, I think we just got a bit lazier as an industry and sort of focus more on making profits mm. and less on yeah. outputting good design and BIM became the excuse um, to generate a quick 3D model and say, look, Mr. Client, we've made a big 3D model <laughs> work. So yeah, it sort of yeah became a distraction in the wrong way in that the corporate sort of mindset kicked in and said, hey, we can we can make quick money from this. Um, so yeah, it's a hard question to answer though. Yeah, it really depends on the context, but uh, I'd say, yeah, a lot of the time it's true. Awesome, Gavin, a lot of good stuff. Uh, I just want to switch gears yeah, a bit. Do you, there's a yeah, lot no of worries. Indian architects applying overseas for uh, migration and PR, right? And I'm sure a lot mm-hmm. of Indian architects are applying to Australia for the Australian PR. Mm. So what advice would you yeah, give to the architects seeking to work and live in Australia? Yeah, it's a great question and it's, it's super relevant because um, I guess, as you know, I'm quite active on LinkedIn yeah. and um, uh, so are a lot of Indians looking for work, <laughs> as, I, as I found out. Um, I, I get a lot of requests uh for people looking for a job um or just i like when they're looking for advice i find it a bit harder when they're just asking me to hire them because um, usually obviously i'm one person i'm not going to go and hire someone from the other side of the world and somehow find the money to sponsor them for a visa yeah. um but i think like that there's a few tips i've sort of gathered over time i might make a video about it eventually too just so i can link them to the video and say maybe this helps yeah that would be awesome and I, yeah. sort of, I know a li- I know a little bit about the process because my roommate's actually from Cairo mm. and he just became an Australian citizen nice. um, the other week. So he, he, he's he been through like a, a really intense visa process over about, I think, eight years. Mm. So it's pretty intense um, and it's, it costs a lot of money too. So that's my first advice, like save money. <laughs> it's it's not cheap. Um, there's a lot of a lot of green, green barriers to go through, which is basically just spend some money here, spend some money there. Like usually you need to get like a visa agent. Um, currently, I think the process is, I think it's called a subclass four eight two or something yeah, like that um, and, uh, yeah i'm not sure yeah, one eight yeah. Nine, and, the, and, the, and the temporary skill shortage visa so there's a few programs you can apply through but essentially the key is finding a company that wants to sponsor you on the program that's the hard part mm-hmm. and i think that's why i think like, usually my advice relates more to building up experience um, and trying to get the most out of your current situation before you move on. So getting the most out of your opportunity in India yeah. before you look abroad, because um, there's probably a lot of opportunity where you are. You just need to look a bit harder, mm-hmm. um, maybe apply to a company that's not going to pay you the best salary for a while. Um, I find the outsourcing companies can be good to work for because they um, they get clients from overseas yeah. that have connections and they also push BIM a little bit harder than some of the traditional firms do from what I understand. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really viable avenue to look through. Um, and they have really strong connections to like Autodesk as well. So there's a lot of passive marketing you can do through there rather than just going through LinkedIn. Um, I find too, like maybe like taking some emphasis off being a fresher, like I find a lot of people use the terminology fresher all the time. Um, and I find like sometimes it's almost like people are like putting themselves down for being too inexperienced. I think like understanding that, you know, you do have some experience is important and sort of marketing yourself with with some confidence too. Unless you, you know, you literally have no experience and you're just a fresher. But but I find a lot of the time people, they might be like three years out and they still call themselves a fresher. And it's like, nah, you, you've got experience. Come on. <laughs> um, and I think too, 
what, what else? Do I, I had like a few notes for this one because I know it was really important. Um, I think like usually what I do when I get someone that comes to me, um, sometimes they they really draw it out. They go like, hello, sir. And I'm like, I like what they're, they're polite, yeah. but they have like sort of a script that they go through yeah. where it's like, hello, sir, how are you? How's the weather? Where do you work? And it's like, just come on, just ask me. I know you're going to ask me. <laughs> just be honest. It's fine. It's like uh, usually I'm pretty friendly to most people that come to me unless they're rude to me. I'm not rude to them. Um, you know, I understand that, you know, everyone's looking for opportunity and that's fine. I've been there before as well. Like I said, I lost, uh, I applied to like 50 firms when I first yeah, started yeah. looking for work. So I can totally relate. Um, but at the same time, like just sometimes it's good to just be like, hello, I'm looking for job opportunities. Have you got any advice? Um, I'm more, more likely to respond well to that than like a, a, a really drawn out conversation. Um, so I think that's really important too. And, you know, don't just use LinkedIn too. Like LinkedIn's a bit of a, it's almost a bit like Facebook these mm. days. Like it's not the most, I guess, like professional network compared to what it used to yeah. be. So I think it's like harder to find work on LinkedIn than just going to like websites like www.seek.com.au, which is um, a really good website in Australia that you can find jobs through and sort of apply for, for visa sponsorship in your, in your actual applications. Um, yeah, so I think that's probably mainly it. And obviously just upskill, um, keep learning new things, uh, keep, keep relevant, keep learning new software. Even if your company just uses AutoCAD, um, try to find a way to access like a student version of a program or something that you can access. Obviously, legally, I'm not going to endorse, you know, keeping a student <laughs> version after university, yeah. but I know a lot of people do, but uh, I can't endorse it. Um, but just find ways to keep your skills relevant. Take courses if you want, but don't take too many courses like because um, courses don't usually – get you jobs the skills you get from those courses are what get you the jobs um so don't put like 50 certificates on a cv um put your strong skills on it and put maybe like three or four courses on there just to show what sort of things you studied hmm. um yeah so hopefully that sort of helps give some tips to people looking for work yeah i think that's some great advice and uh, mm-hmm. to wrap it up uh, what one advice would you give young architects and architecture students getting started yeah, so I guess um probably the main thing is just to just to network, reach out, um, reach out to people like me, just people that you see around your university campus that have connections to the industry because it's really important to come in um, knowing people in the industry or just at least knowing how the industry works, um, knowing which companies are important to to connect with because maybe they've got a lot of projects going on. So so be aware, don't um don't don't spend you know every weekend going out having a drink like sometimes um, put in the hard yards and understand that. You know, not everything is going to going to come from university. Some things do come from a bit of hard work and a bit of um bit of elbow rubbing on networking events. Yeah. Um, so just find opportunities wherever you can. And I guess as well, like just um don't necessarily hit the hit the industry with high expectations of what the industry should give you. Like come in come in pretty flexible. So don't expect like a really high salary or you know you're not going to get out at five o'clock every day. It's you know there's going to be some long hours and you probably have a lot of those you know what am I doing here sort of moments and just just be ready for challenge because it it is a challenging industry um architecture and engineering and even construction they're, they're hard industries for graduates um and they're expected to learn a lot of things very fast so just um just come in with an open mind um and just yeah just be ready to put in some really hard work before um you know you get to the good stuff awesome awesome gavin that's some really good advice and i'm sure yeah. this knows awesome. a lot uh, we'll just quickly jump into the quick fire round, round and then i'll let you yeah, go all right let's do it all right uh, which book has inspired you the most as an architect 
Yeah, so probably the the one that I like the most um, is called Minimal. Uh, it's by a, my favorite architect um, called John Pawson, and it's just a collection of images from his projects and around the world that he collected mm. um, that sort of inspired me to be more passionate about uh, the movement of minimalism. So I'm a huge fan of minimalism and brutalism in architecture, nice. and this sort of like was what inspired that um, in in my architectural style. Nice. What type of music yeah. do you listen to? So I listen to um heavy metal and death metal so it's pretty pretty intense stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone knows um heavy metal I guess my favorite bands are Arch Enemy, Meshuggah, Trivium, um Amon Amarth um and anyone that doesn't know heavy metal I probably just said a whole bunch of evil sounding words. <laughs> <laughs> so like I'm trying to summon the devil or something like that. But um it surprisingly it actually keeps me really like calm and relaxed when I listen to it. I used to like put on headphones sometimes at work and just chuck on music and I forgot that it was too loud and someone would just look at me and be like what the hell are you listening to? <laughs> But I've been really into heavy metal since about year 11, year 12. I really like the um the polyrhythms and the instruments and all the really intense guitar work and yeah, the vocals can be a bit strange sometimes but but yeah I've come to appreciate them. Yeah, I even mean, I listened to a couple like Lamb of God and uh Oh, I love Lamb of God. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty good. Wicked. The new, the new song's intense. Yeah, I should check it out. I haven't been listening to yeah, it for a while. Definitely. Yeah. The first 20 seconds are amazing. <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, what would you have chosen had you not taken up architecture? Uh easy. I would I would definitely have either been in software engineering or game design. Mm. Um I, I was a huge fan of video games as a kid and I sort of learned to build very basic 16 uh bit video games when I was like a bit younger. Um so I, I realized that it was a really hard industry to make it in. Um I had a lot of friends that tried that were a bit older and they just said I oh, don't do it. It's so competitive and you need like heavy connections so i just said no i'd rather go somewhere where that the job prospects are a bit better for me mm. but um but yeah if i hadn't done architecture i would have definitely went down that road right. but i'm sort of glad i did architecture i think like bim was probably a better fit for what i like doing um or it's game design probably would have been a bit too close to like a hobby for me and i i like being able to just play a video game and not relate it to work um or as i guess if i was in video game design i couldn't just go and play bim <laughs> on the weekends <laughs> <laughs> and bim is not that popular compared to these professions in schools right oh yeah totally yeah like i mean everyone wants to be a game designer yeah. if they use computers these days and i can see why with platforms like unity coming out that are really making game design like very accessible um whereas back when i was looking at game design you had to like literally write everything in c sharp and java and all these crazy languages mm. that no one learned until they went to university so yeah it was a bit too intimidating for me as well all right which uh, city would you consider your favorite <laughs> Oh, I've got I've got two, but I'd say probably New York is my favorite. Um it's it's such a dynamic city. Like you can walk between one block to the next and like it's a whole different culture, especially around like the Soho little little Italy sort of area. Yeah. It's amazing just the, the city planning. Um as an architect like every corner's got a famous building on it. It's just like, "Oh, wow, I didn't know this was here." It's just like you keep finding a building every time you turn around a corner. It was amazing. Like I think um I think I bored my partner to death <laughs> when I went there because every everything was just buildings and architecture. the whole time and but I, i loved it and and i also went to tokyo with my father a few years ago and tokyo was the same thing every little district of tokyo had such a different character and it was such a clean easy to get around city and the people were like so friendly like the people in new york weren't the same sort of friendly okay. they were more like <laughs> they were easy to get along with but they they still they were they were busy and they had things to do whereas in Tokyo if if you had someone that like had things to do if you needed any help they just dropped what they were doing straight away and their goal was just to like help you it was amazing <laughs> yeah and i'm sure you would be traveling a lot once uh, bim guru and 
Aussie boom guru. Oh yeah, yeah. I really hope that there's the opportunity to travel in my work. Um, that would be fantastic, even just to run training courses or go to like Autodesk University yeah. and all these opportunities. Yeah. All right. So you do a, uh, I mean, you hustle and you do a lot of things, right? So how do you make it happen? Yeah. What does a daily routine in Kevin's life look like? Oh man, like every day is slightly different, but I guess like on a work day, like I'm usually. Actually, no matter what day it is, I always get woken up at four o'clock in the morning by my cats. <laughs> that That's the time they decided is breakfast, um, unfortunately. Some cats decide breakfast is at nine o'clock. Um, my cats think it's four, four a.m. Um, so I haven't really been able to adjust their, their sleep cycle. By the way, cycle. guys, so Gavin's you, uh, cats are pretty famous. You can check them out on Aussie Boom Guru channel as well. Yeah, one of the one of them's actually called Aussie, and the other one's called Edward. Oh, nice. So, um, yeah, one's one's named for the channel as well. <laughs> they're 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 one year old each, so they're they're still quite adventurous, and they've got a lot of energy. So I'm hoping as they get older, they might change their wake up time. Um, but usually I feed them, and I'll go back to bed, and I usually just go on LinkedIn and get rid of all my notifications before I go back to bed, so I can wake up with a clean social media slate. Mm. Um, on a weekday, I'll get up around eight, and I'm usually working by eight thirty at my desk. Um, sometimes I'll do exercise before work. I find that can be good to do every couple of days mm. just go for a run before i go on my computer just so i sort of distance myself between sleep and work there's like that barrier because i used to get on the bus and go to work whereas now i just you know walk you know a few meters to my desk so it's nice to have a bit of a buffer between that sometimes mm. and i usually work um i usually have like a small lunch in between but i tend to work right through to six or seven and just do a do a hard slog like when i've got some more regular clients i'll probably find a more balanced time um to work in but at the moment i'm just sort of pushing all my leads and working pretty hard mm. so that's usually what i do and i put a lot of research and development in that time as well so i do a lot of like python and sort of juggle my time between the day um and then usually i'll, I'll do like aussie bim guru videos probably twice a week i try to do just so I can keep up to date and they take about two or three hours to put together typically so so I tend to do those at night um so some days I'm just it's like all days work and some days I do no work at night um and then I see my partner a couple of days a week as well so she comes around and we you know watch some Netflix and play video games and all that stuff and then um yeah usually in bed by about 12 so it's a pretty intense cycle and I'm definitely going to have to like find a way to rebalance it um, unless my cats can get up a bit later. So, <laughs> awesome. so your cats yeah. is definitely, is a, definitely a motivation, but how do you keep yourself motivated being a solo one man army? Yeah, I think like a really important thing that I do that um, I highly recommend everyone else does if they're in BIM is to get on social media, That uh, get on Twitter, um, use LinkedIn a little bit, but I think Twitter's where it's at. Like I get a lot of interaction out of Twitter, talking to like all the Dynamo package developers and just seeing what everyone's up to in architecture. That There's a lot of like the who's who of um, BIM and architecture on Twitter and they're much more active there than they are on LinkedIn. Um, so I find that that sort of gives me a bit of connection back to the real world. Um, obviously that's not the real world so i still go out probably like twice a week just to catch up with someone here and there just to just to see real people and you know stay connected to the industry and i go to like all the user groups and all the free events in the city for bim um, nice. so i still catch up with all the all the bim managers in sydney at those events and all the consultants when i see them there just so i still have like a, a presence in in the market um and one day i'll probably move into the city and get like a desk or an office um just to just to be in the city and actually be right next to clients rather than having to get on the bus every time someone wants to see me <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, Kevin, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Well, it's a hard question, but I think ideally I'll still be pushing away at BIM Guru. Um, this, this is really my long-term goal now. I've, I've, 
sort of just realized that the BIM management role was nice, but I wanted to reach more people through what I did. And I expect in at least the next 10 years that BIM will change. Mm. BIM won't be BIM in 10 years. It will be something else. It will be a whole different thing. Maybe it's all VR. Maybe maybe all our brains are going to be plugged into computers. I mean, who knows? Yeah. It could be anything. But I, I want to be pushing my business wherever it becomes. And ideally, I'll be taking in employees or taking interns through the process of the business and then launching them out as BIM coordinators or something like that. That that would ideally be in motion by then. And I guess personally, like, I mean, I'd love to, you know, have a family by then as well. I mean, if I haven't got a family in 10 years, I'll be, I'll be 41 and, and not a dad. So that's probably getting a bit late for me. So ideally I'd, you know, have one kid or two kids, whatever I can afford, I guess. <laughs> Depends how well um, BIM Guru does. Um, but yeah, that, that's ideally the plan. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Hopefully, you'll get married in like two, three years' time, I guess. Oh, I didn't tell my partner that. I should get too excited. <laughs> but um, I don't know if I'll buy a house in Sydney. Sydney's real estate is insane. It's like the median house price is more than a million dollars. So it's it's very hard to buy a house in Sydney. So I might look at moving somewhere else, um, either in Australia or overseas. But, but yeah, not sure yet. We haven't really figured it out yet. I've only been dating my partner for a couple of years, so we haven't haven't quite got to that conversation yet. But we'll, we'll see what happens. All right. Yeah. Awesome, Gavin. That was a great session, although we had to do it twice. Yeah. <laughs> Because the first time my laptop crashed, <laughs> so yeah, that's right. I think I think it went better the second time around anyway. So um, it was probably a good thing. Yeah, I think we, we got a really good um good banter and good conversation going there. Because uh, Auss- Aussie people, we love what we call banter, which is like a back and forth conversation where we sort of joke around and have a bit of fun. So yeah, absolutely. I hope to have you more on the episode and on on the podcast and discuss <laughs> in depth on certain topics. Yeah, definitely. And if you ever want to do podcasts with like multiple people, like if you want to get Christopher on at the same time and do like a bit of a round table like that, that could be cool as well. But um, but I really appreciate you having me on, Manish, and um, I had a really good time. So definitely recommend people tune into your podcast in future. Yeah. And what's the best way our listeners can get in touch with you? Yeah, so there's a few ways. I mean, if you if you want to contact me just for questions or general, um, contact me through Aussie BIM Guru. So you can either come to my YouTube channel and there'll be a link to my GitHub, um, or you can also just contact me at aussiebimguru at gmail.com. Um, if you want to contact me for business, um, I have a BIM Guru. Uh, the website is www bimguru.com.au um, and feel free to also just reach out to me through LinkedIn. Um, I typically will accept most connections if they're relevant to what I do. So if you're in anything to do with AEC, um, if you request a connection, you'll probably get an acceptance in about an hour. So um, yeah, just just feel free to reach out through any of those avenues. I'm always happy to give tips to anyone, um, even if you're just looking for advice on your career and you just want me to give you some give you some some ideas. Um, feel free to reach out. Yeah, and I think you get better ideas more, and the more number of people reach out to you, right? Exactly. Yeah. A lot of my ideas for my videos aren't always my ideas. They're something that someone worked through with me. And then I say, hey, do you mind if I put this on, on uh, my channel? And typically I'll credit them at the start as well and say, oh, thanks to this person for, for this idea. So um, yeah, it's, it's always a two-way, two-way giving. So yeah, it's a valuable process. Awesome, Gavin. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on the show. I hope to have you more often in the episode because there's so much of value that you provide and uh, yeah. Oh, thanks, Manish. I really appreciate it. And I'm more than happy to come back again. So had a great time. All right. Cheers. Cheers.
You've been listening to the Ak Young Podcast. We're still building the community. Please share this knowledge with someone you know who could benefit. Just send them to akyoung.com where you'll find our free newsletter and for more podcast episodes. Search for the show on any major podcasting platform. Don't forget to subscribe where you're listening right now. And if you liked it, leave a rating or review. 